What's up, Simi Church? Hi, Simi Church. My name's Chris Spencer, and this is my mother. Me, Oak Spencer. Uh, and yeah, welcome to Simi Church Online, where our mission is still to love God and people one household at a time. So one of my new favorite things about Simi Church is how we still try to do things as normal and stay connected as a group, as a family. So, you know, we have church every Sunday now, even though it's online. We still have campus events, teen events. My parents just FaceTimed the Straits last night. So <laughs> shout out to Candace and Tony and Pierce, you know, good people. Uh, and even though I don't have a normal job anymore, um, Joe still employs me as his welcome speaker, as you can see now. Um, so I appreciate that. But yeah, we're still trying to go um, roll with things as normal, even with all this turmoil going on with this virus in unprecedented times. Um, so I just wanted to say whatever your story is, um, wherever you're coming from, we just want to welcome you to See Me Church because we are a group of normal people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus. Uh, so with that, my mother is now going to close us out in a prayer. And yeah. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this time and this very moment where we can be together um, in, in some way. And I pray that we can use this time to really um, draw closer to one another and to you. And may us find in, in whatever ways we see it um, and whatever ways that you offer it to us. May, us, may we also extend um, you know, the love that you show to us um, and with each other, extend that to those in our community and to those around us and to the loved ones around us. Mm. Uh, may we not take any of this for granted. May, may we grow in our um, love for you. May we grow in our gratitude. And may we grow in our um, connections with each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Spencer's signing off. Bye. Good morning. I'm Joe Collins and welcome to See Me Church Online. I want to thank Chris and the Spencer family for welcoming us this morning. It was really good to be able to see them, wasn't it? So today is Palm Sunday and I want to wish everyone a happy Palm Sunday. And as we have been for the past few weeks, I'm going to continue in our series, One-on-One -on -one with Jesus. Now the idea of the series is to look at different one-on-one -on -one interactions Jesus had with various people and see what new insights we can gain from those interactions. Last Sunday we looked at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and someone who just shouted out at him from a crowd. And we learned that sins of the heart get in the way of true revival. This week, since it is Palm Sunday, I want to look at an interaction between Jesus and one of his disciples, a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. It actually took place the evening before the very first Palm Sunday. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life today. So I don't know about you, but with all the extra time, I've been able to watch a little more TV than normal, and I've noticed something. I've noticed that the Harry Potter movies seem to be playing 24 hours a day, nonstop. Now, I'm a Harry Potter fan, and I do enjoy the movies, but come on. 24 hours a day, just back to back to back. Anyways, that being said, as a fan of the movies, I have to admit, my favorite actor, and in my opinion, the best actor of all the actors in all of the series, in all of the movies, is Alan Rickman. Now, unfortunately, 
he passed away a few years ago. But he is by far and away, in my opinion, the best of the actors. But did you know that before he became an actor, he was actually a graphic designer? He even had his own business in graphic design. Somewhere in his late 20s, early 30s, he decided to become an actor, but he didn't really make it until he starred in 1988 Die Hard with Bruce Willis. He was the bad guy, the German uh, bank robber that took over Nagatomi Plaza. Anyways, that's quite a bit of time from when he started to the age of 42 when he finally hit it big. And you know, Alan Rickman in a lot of ways is an example to me of someone who started his life over. And that's what I want to talk about today, starting over. So turn with me to John chapter 12. Let's pray. Father, it is so great to be together this morning to worship you and to celebrate Palm Sunday together. I pray that your spirit is with us and that you keep us safe during this extraordinary time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So it's the night before Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we now call Palm Sunday. He's enjoying dinner at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Longtime friends, their home was where Jesus often stayed when visiting Jerusalem, as it was just a short walk to the city. As usual, Martha was doing the serving, Lazarus was reclining at the table, and Mary was doting on Jesus. At some point, Mary gets up and anoints Jesus' feet with some extremely expensive perfume. Now, I don't know if you know this, but all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record someone anointing Jesus with perfume. The similarities between these accounts has led to some confusion about how many times Jesus was actually anointed. I mean, was it one incident that was recorded by all four Gospels, or did each Gospel record a different incident or some combination? Well, first, let me say this. As unusual as it may seem to us, an, an anointing in Jesus' day was an accepted way of showing great love and respect for someone. So the idea that Jesus may have been anointed more than once is not all that far-fetched, especially when you consider how loved and respected he really was. Secondly, out of the four accounts, Luke is clearly a separate and distinct account from the others. He describes the anointing having occurred earlier in Jesus' ministry while he was still in Galilee. So that leaves us with Matthew, Mark, and John's accounts, which all take place at Bethany in Judea during the last week of Jesus' life. Now, some believe that these are three versions of the same anointing. However, there are some differences, especially with John, who records the anointing having occurred six days before the Passover and at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, while Matthew and Mark say the anointing occurred two days before the Passover and at the home of Simon the leper. So what's the answer? How many times was Jesus anointed in the Bible? Well, for sure there were two, but it's possible that there were three, depending on whether you believe John's account to be separate and distinct from Mark 
and Matthew's account. And who knows how many other times Jesus may have been anointed that weren't even recorded. Here's my point. I say all this to tell you that when the Bible gets confusing, and it does get confusing, take the time to figure it out, just like I did right here. Your effort will be rewarded with greater confidence and faith in Scripture. John chapter 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. After Mary anointed Jesus with perfume, which in today's money might have been valued as, as high as $20,000 or more, Judas Iscariot objected. And he argues that it was irresponsible for her to use such expensive perfume to anoint Jesus when it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now this sets the stage for this brief but important one-on-one -on -one that is about to happen between Jesus and Judas Iscariot that I want to examine. And I want to begin by talking about Judas himself. Who was he and how did he become a follower of Jesus? Well, his surname is Iscariot and it suggests that he was originally from a town called Karath. It's a town not far from Jerusalem in the province of Judea, which is in southern Palestine. This makes him the only disciple that we know of that was from Galilee, or southern Palestine. All the other disciples were from northern Palestine, or the region called Galilee. I'm sorry, Ju um, Judas was from Judah, the others were from Galilee, which was in northern Palestine. Now, Jews from Judea in the south generally looked down at Jews who were from Northern Palestine, who were from Galilee. And the reasons were, they, they generally spoke Greek, they were heavily influenced by Greek culture, not to mention their bloodlines were not as clearly established as the Jews in the South. So in a sense, Judas was the lone pure blood among, among a bunch of muggle-born uh, associates. Except, of course, for Jesus, who was born in the South but raised in the North. And it seems likely that this spirit of superiority must have stayed with Judas and alienated him from his fellow disciples and ultimately from Jesus himself. But you know, that's not all that may have alienated Judas. Let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 67 to 71. And it's an incident that occurred earlier in Jesus' ministry. You don't want me to leave too. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. You know, we don't know exactly when Judas was called by Jesus, but we do know it was early in Jesus' ministry and that he was one of the original twelve, a group of men handpicked by Jesus and personally mentored and trained by him. Now, after a particularly long day of teaching, John 6 tells us that the masses who came out to hear Jesus speak had gotten offended by something he said regarding their motivation. Many of the crowd got up and left at that moment. Others began to grumble and complain, including the twelve, to who Jesus turned and said, Do you want to leave too? Speaking on their behalf, Peter said, We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But you know, he wasn't really speaking on all their behalf, was he? He wasn't, because there was at least one of them, Judas Iscariot, 
who didn't believe in Jesus and ultimately never would. You know, in addition to harboring feelings of superiority, it seems that he also harbored doubts about the true nature and identity of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to John chapter 12. We're going to read verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So in the account where Mary uh, washes Jesus' feet with her perfume and Judas objects, John tells us on the aside that Judas did this because he really didn't care about the poor, but because he cared about the money. Now, on the surface, without knowing what John said, if, you, if we were there in this moment, what Judas did may have seemed justified. I mean, after all, Bethany, according to some, was the, home, was, was the place where there was a poorhouse or a hospital or maybe even a leper colony. And so it makes sense why Judas objected to Mary's wasteful expense of this perfume. I mean, think about it for a minute. You're there in this meal, in this home, and there are certainly people from the uh, community that are a part of this meal. I mean, Jesus was a big deal at this point. He did really just raise Lazarus from the dead, and people by the droves were coming out to hear him and to see him. And I could imagine being in that uh, crowd and being, maybe even being one of Jesus' disciples like Judas and getting a little embarrassed by what Mary does in front of all these very needy people. In fact, if Mark and Matthew's accounts are one and the same with John's, then according to them, many did actually complain, not just Judas, and they actually verbalized their dissatisfaction with Mary like Judas did. Now, I can't be sure to what degree Judas' complaint may have contributed to this negative reaction that the others had toward Mary, but I'm sure that it didn't help. In addition, John, in retrospect, as I said at the beginning, tells us that ultimately Judas was more upset about losing an opportunity to steal more money for himself than he really was about the poor. So if we put all this together, we begin to get a clear picture of who Judas really was. He was an arrogant, disbelieving, and selfish person, which explains why Jesus said to him what he said next. Verse 7, Leave her alone, he replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. In a word, Jesus rebukes the snot out of Judas and any others that were complaining for that matter. And he defends Mary and her actions, not only as proper, but as prophetic. You know, sometimes when someone sins so blatantly, even if it's Palm Sunday and in front of others at dinner, at a dinner in your honor, the best thing to do is to rebuke them. So I'll tell an embarrassing story about my life. I was at a movie theater once many years ago. This was before I was a Christian. And I was very foul-mouthed at that time. And I didn't really know how foul-mouthed I was until I went to the movies with a friend of mine and I was talking and obviously cursing up a storm. So much so that a couple behind me, an elderly couple, a man and his wife, interrupted me and the man literally rebuked me and asked me to stop cursing so much. Well, I got to tell you, I was really embarrassed. I mean, he did it right there in front of my friends and in front of other people in the line. But you know, it was exactly the right thing to do. I needed to be rebuked. And I got to be honest, it's actually helped me. I've never forgot that. I still feel embarrassed that it happened. But I can tell you, it's helped me stop from cursing. 
Now Jesus, he didn't stop with just rebuking Judas and the crowd and telling them to leave her alone. He went on and he quoted scripture. In fact, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. I want to read that to you now. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. You know, Jesus, in quoting the scripture, doesn't actually quote the entire scripture. He just quotes the first sentence. And instead of saying the second part, he replaces it with these words. And I want you to look closely. But you will not always have me. You know, far from relieving Judas of his responsibility to help the poor, Jesus really reminded him of his responsibility that comes with being in Jesus' presence. Jesus, who Peter in John 6 called the Holy One of God, chose Judas. He mentored Judas, and he spent the last three years training Judas to be one of 12 men who he planned would change the world. This is an honor so much greater than a very expensive bottle of perfume. Yet instead of like Mary, who doted on Jesus, Judas looked down his nose at him. Instead of believing in Jesus, Judas Judas doubted him. And instead of caring about people, especially the poor, Judas cared only about himself. You know, I've been a churchgoer now for most of my life and a minister for almost half. You know, in all those years, I've noticed tendency in people and in myself. Sometimes, like Mary, I give my best. But there's other times, like Judas, where I could care less. You know, if I'm totally honest with you, it's too often that I'm the latter. But you know, the good news is that it's never too late to start over. So my prayer this morning, for you and for me, is to take this one-on-one with Jesus, between Jesus and Judas, to heart, and to become more like Mary and less like Judas. Now before I go, I want to look at one final interaction between Judas and Jesus. And it happened just a couple days later, after this dinner, on Passover, or what we call uh, Good Friday now, and during another meal, which we now call the Last Supper. John chapter 13, verse 21 says, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So it's Passover, and Jesus is having a meal with his twelve disciples. After washing their feet and teaching them to be servant leaders, he becomes troubled, he's upset, and he tells them that one of them is going to betray him. Now, at this point, everybody knew, it was an open secret, that the religious leaders in Jerusalem wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. But it was shocking to the twelve that, that Jesus has accused one of them of, of, of being a part of that plot, of in league with those religious elites. And so they wanted to know who was it. You know, it's really interesting to me, but the fact that they didn't know is a testament to the unconditional love and patience that Jesus had for someone like Judas. Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, 
As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What are you about to do? What you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or give something to the poor. <clears throat> as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So Jesus, at this meal, after explaining to them that one of them is uh, going to betray him and they wanted to know who, he says simply, well, it's whoever I break bread with. Well, that may seem obvious at first, but since Jesus was breaking bread with all of them, it was actually not very obvious. By the way, it also makes me think that maybe all of us are capable of being a Judas. Eventually, he gets around, breaks bread with Judas, and he tells him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Again, no one is the wiser. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I can't help but think that this wasn't the end for Judas in Jesus' mind. That even though Judas was going to betray him and Jesus knew it, Jesus still had hope for him. It's almost as if he said, fine, if you're going to sin, fine, go ahead and do it. But do it quickly and come back. Now I'm not condoning sin. I'm just simply saying that sin didn't have to be the end of the story for Judas or for you and I. You know, we'll never know because Judas never came back. And he is forever remembered as the one who betrayed Jesus. If you learn nothing else or you take nothing away, else away from my lesson today, I want you to take this away. Don't let your last mistake be your legacy. It's never too late to start over. You know, it's been great worshiping with you this morning and enjoying Palm Sunday together. Just like last week, I want to close with a time of prayer. I'm going to ask that you take the next two minutes and pray privately or maybe with someone in your household. And I want you to reflect on the lesson. I want you to confess any arrogance, any disbelief, any selfishness that may have reared its ugly head in your life and ask and repent and ask God for a fresh start. Afterwards, I'm going to come back. I'll say a prayer of my own and we'll be done. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed The victory is won He is risen from the dead And I will rise When He calls my name No more sorrow No more pain I will rise
that's drawing near When this darkness breaks to light And the shadows disappear And my faith shall be my eyes Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for much, so much for the, the message of, of, uh, that we learn here from Jesus in this one-on-one -on -one with Judas. And help us, God, to truly uh, uh, repent of any of our sin. And God, turn to you with a new heart and, 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 and grant us a fresh start. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Simi Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross and rose to life again. It is in this belief that we do everything. We're a member-supported church by people like me. You can give today online at seemechurch.org or by texting keyword seemechurch to 77977. Now, I encourage you, as always, to take some time today and take communion as a family and remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Lastly, I want Simi Church to be your church, your family's church, and your friend's church. If you'd like to know more, please drop me a line here on YouTube or message me through our website, simichurch.org. If you're not ready to do that, that's totally okay. We're just glad you joined us today and hope that you keep coming back. We'll see you next Sunday. Been holding on for too long, singing the same, those the same songs, putting me behind the misery. It's all for me. Been holding on for too long, but now I've got nothing to hold on. It all just sounds like. Oh.